Good morning again. Uh, the, uh, a couple Saturdays ago, my wife and I, we spent a peaceful night in our backyard. And for those of you who have been to our backyard over the last couple years, you know that that was many years in the making. Um, about the time that we started this church, we bought a little house in Shoreview that had a pretty big backyard. And that backyard, um, let me, how, how do I say it? The, the foliage in the back was especially thick. Maybe that's a nice way of saying it. In fact, it was so thick that I remember the first year we were there when the leaves started to fall, I'm like, kids, we've got a gazing ball. Didn't know we had a gazing ball in our backyard until the leaves started to come down and we could see the, uh, the back, all the way to the back fence. And I remember um, when we got our two little dogs and they would go outside to do their dog stuff. You could probably hear from your house. Um, I'd go out there and we have our little dogs go and they would disappear. It was so thick, you couldn't see where the dogs were. So you're there in the doorway like, get in here, you stupid dogs, you know, and doing that whole little shiver dance and you couldn't see them. And when they finally would get back, thorns and mud and just, you know, ticks and, and, and the whole bit. Just really, it was a jungle back there. I remember another time I came out and we had some really unhealthy trees. We still got a lot. We have them in our front yard too, but that's another sermon illustration. The, um, but in the backyard, we had some unhealthy trees and we had especially had a lot of unhealthy trees. And I remember coming out to see, looking at our shed and here was this 15-foot branch sticking straight up through it as if some giant archer had just shot straight down and embedded this big branch right through the roof of our shed. So we had these unhealthy trees. We had these um, undesirable trees. And then we had these nice pine trees, but you couldn't see them because the vines had completely grown up and covered the pine trees. And I could go on and on about the creeping Charlie and the thistles and the time that I was digging in the backyard and my shovel hit something solid. And I'm thinking, great, I have been waiting for my Goonies moment since I was 10 and I've now discovered this big vault right in our backyard. But it wasn't a vault, it was just a slab that they had buried, a big six by eight foot. Neighbors said that it was a dog kennel at one point and they decided just to cover it over with dirt and mulch. So we had this big old random slab in the back. But now, as of last Saturday, vines are gone. Vines are gone. The, uh, the, the creeping Charlie, well, it was a formidable army. Now it's just little pockets of resistance. We had cut down trees. We had ground up stumps. We had uprooted weeds. We had put down sod. We broke up that concrete slab and rolled the stones away. Hallelujah. The uh, patch of thickets that we once had is now a rainbow play system. Another patch of thickets was the beautiful fire pit. There's still a lot of work to be done, but last Saturday, we were able to have a peaceful night around the fire one that was a long time in coming because our backyard was once this great source of stress. And our hope for this teaching series that we're in is that if your finances are a source of great stress, that you would have hope that over time there's things that God can do in your life to bring you from that place. If you're new to our church, let me just tell you right now, there's no, we're, we are in a series about finances and there's no big guilt trip coming here. This is all about trying to help us all get to a place of greater financial peace. Again, our hope for this teaching series is for all of us to experience that peace in our life. It's about coming to a place where we could, instead of be sitting in the backyard, you could be sitting around your kitchen table 
looking at your budget and having a sense of peace, that we're giving as God would have us to give, that we're saving as God would have us to save, and that we can enjoy and we can plan on soaking in his blessings and really enjoying them without this kind of low-level sense of guilt that I shouldn't be happy having this great meal or I shouldn't be happy going on vacation. But we can enjoy those blessings from God. Well, we opened this series, if you weren't here from this, for the series opener, we opened with a story that Jesus told. It's a story about a sower who sowed some seed. Some of that seed fell on a little piece of land that sounded a whole lot like our backyard because there was thorns and weeds in that little section. And when Jesus told this story, he wasn't making a point about gardening. He was teaching us to guard against the deceitfulness that can often accompany wealth. Well, here's a short excerpt from that story as told in Mark chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Jesus said, the sower sows the word. And there's some people, they hear the word, but there's cares of the world. There is this deceitfulness that can accompany riches. And they enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful in their lives. However, when that word is sown in good soil, the ones that hear the word and accept it, they can bear fruit and supernatural fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100 times what was sown. For most Americans, our finances are a lot like our backyard was, a source of great stress. And for a lot of us, there's something inside that just says, I can't be content because I feel like we should be giving more than we are. I feel like we should be saving more than we are. And here's the other thing. I feel like we should be able to enjoy God's blessings too more than we do. We're not as content as we could be. There's a great book on this subject and other subjects of our life called Simplify, and in it, Pastor Bill Hybels makes this point. He says, a right relationship with finances is of great importance to God. Just so people know that don't know me that it's not just me saying this, can I get an amen to that? This is of importance to him, how we handle money. The Bible has a lot to say about money. And let me just say, for the record, again, so you can hear where we're not going, the Bible doesn't say that you should be financing the pastor's million-dollar home. There's nothing about that in the scriptures. The Bible also doesn't say anything about, okay, it's up to you to bail out church leaders if we make some really bad decisions. And that it's up to you to, to bail us out. I, let me just tell you, our church has zero debt. Our church has three months of savings, cash reserves in the bank. Our church is doing the best we can to put money into what we call our future fund. We got about two months of savings in there towards whatever God has for the future. This isn't about trying to bail us out. This isn't about trying to, you know, line my pockets. This is about financial peace. It really is. That's what this is about. It's about bringing our entire lives. We sang that song, I Surrender All. That was not an attempt to say, let's zero that in on money. That was just a, this is a song that's about, that's what our lives are, right? We surrender everything to God, everything, including this important piece of our life. This is truly about trusting the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures, listen to this, that dare us to imagine a life where we could experience freedom from greed. Wouldn't that be awesome? Freedom from greed, freedom from debt, Freedom from guilt, freedom from the myth that is financial security. This is about coming to a place where we just have a sense, instead of this low-level kind of conviction that things aren't right, we have a sense that we're giving the way God wants us to give, we're saving the way God wants us to save, and that we're really enjoying this world the way that he would have us enjoy 
this world. A great meal, a great vacation, a great purchase. Going out to see a great show, great show. Northwestern's putting on Phantom of the Opera. They did a great, great, great job. Most of us, we long for more of that, this life that God wants us to experience. Here's another quote real quick from Bill Hybels. He says, I have seen the life-changing peace that permeates people's hearts when they surrender everything, including their finances, to God's guidance. Can I get an amen to that too? I can testify to this. When I'm not walking with what God says to do, that's where the stress really comes. When I'm following what he says to do, things still happen, life still happens, but there's a sense of peace as it does. One last quote from Hybels, just because this one's really, really good. I will live joyfully. Here's the target that we're shooting for. I will live joyfully within God's current provision for my life. Isn't that a good target? You know, what he's basically saying there is, is that what if we all do our part where we try the best we can to say, God, what career path do you want me on? And when doors of employment open up, we give our absolute best we add value to that organization, and then when that paycheck comes that's the fruit of our best efforts, best prayers, we then acknowledge, God, what you've provided here, this all is yours. This all comes from you. And the first thing we do is we say, God, here is a portion back to you, is my offering to you. The second thing we do is we say, now I'm going to set some aside for the future because stuff's going to happen. And then what we do is we, after we come to peace about those things, we're able to just enjoy and live and experience God's provision for us. Well, throughout this series, we've had a couple of theses for you. Here's another one. Here's my thesis for today. If you have uh, one of these inserts, green inserts in your, note, in your bulletins, I encourage you to pull it out. Here's my thesis today that we're going to wrestle with with the short time we've got left. Financial peace, I present to you, is often the fruit of God-honoring decisions. Financial peace is the fruit of God-honoring decisions. How many of you know you can't choose peace? Okay, you can't, right? You can't just say, I'm going to be more peaceful. It doesn't work like that. But there are things that we can choose. There are decisions that we make that can make your life more peaceful or less peaceful. So let's focus on what we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, and let's look at four of those today. Starting with this one, there is no surprise here. If you want to practice God-honoring garden read the scriptures daily. And I think we got it, yep, we got it right on the slide. I should have added this in your note outlines. You might want to write, read, and reflect on, because that's so important, not just to read, but read and reflect on the scriptures daily. I can't stress this one enough. If you want to hear God's voice with greater clarity, if you want to know his will with greater certainty, spend time in his word. And as you do, you're going to come across these truths that he includes in his words. Truths like this, Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What an important truth to, to have filling our minds and our hearts, that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Heard a great quote on the, uh, or question on the radio once. It really made me think, here's the question. What if you only woke up tomorrow with the things you thanked God for today? Isn't that a great question? What if you woke up tomorrow only with the things that you thanked God for today? Try that. Try thinking, okay, this is what I want tomorrow that I have now. Start making that list. Wow, he has blessed us more than we realize, more than we stop to think and appreciate. Great question. 
And as you're reading through the scriptures, you're going to find this truth that earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and he's blessed us a lot more than we think. You're also going to see this, things like this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. There's so many rich truths in the scripture, and as we fill our minds with these, we begin to realize God is really good to us. And he's got so much to say. We discover more and more about who God is, what he's done, and what his desires are for us as a people. I think about this analogy. Um, We have this person. She's a master gardener. Her name's Brenda. And she offered to help because she knew that we were in a state of help needed with our backyard. She offered to help us. She said, I'll help. I'll give you advice. I'll I'll come when I can. We would have been crazy to say no to that. We would have been crazy to say no to that to not take Brenda's advice, take Brenda's help. Scriptures. God wants to help. He wants to help. And his word is living. It's more than just advice. He meets us in it. I would encourage us to not be so crazy as to ignore his word. So that's step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But let me give you a couple others. No extra cost. Another step in the right direction. Practice automatic God-first giving. And when I say automatic, I don't necessarily mean to do it electronically. I just mean that that's your first play, right? You know? I don't know why that was so funny, but it wasn't intended to be. But the point is automatic, meaning it's your first play. When God gives, you give back. Your first play. So automatic, meaning whether it's once a month, whether it's once a week, or with each paycheck, that's just what you do. And take it off the table. If you're feeling like this is a conflict of interest, don't give it here. Don't let it be about that. Let it be about God, if that's holding you back, right? To just say, God, when something comes in, I give to you first. Because if you don't, it's going to disappear, right? If you don't earmark where it's going, it's going to disappear. As I was delivering this message, um, I I made a connection that I don't know if I've ever said this before the 915 service today. I want to encourage you to pull out this um, yellow insert. And if you're listening online, um, just send me an email. I can send you a copy of this. The connection that really was striking me as I was praying this lesson was a strike, the, um, the connection between giving and the Great Commission. And I don't think we link that enough. The Great Commission, if you're not familiar with it, is language that we give to the last thing that Jesus is recorded as saying in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And as you're doing that, Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I feel like I was supposed to challenge those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ that this shouldn't be a topic that shows up once a year here in our sermons. But this is from the, from, from the pastor, that this is something that's just basic discipleship, that each and every one of us, we learn and practice what the Bible says about money so that we are able to teach others what he has taught us. Because did Jesus teach a lot about money? Yeah. He spent a higher percentage of his teachings in the scriptures talking about money than we certainly do as a church. This was a big deal to him. And what if this was something that every one of us internalized, lived out as part of the Great Commission? And so on here, we have a couple different continuums that we want to challenge everybody on. Let's focus on just the one that's highlighted because this is what we're talking about this time. We'll talk about the other ones along the way, but we're talking about giving now. So here's the continuum that I want to offer to you. 
And I don't think I'm going to get really any pushback on the continuum. It's just the details of it. Because it's pretty hard to argue that the Bible would have us move from keeping everything to sharing some to saying, God, I give to you first to then moving towards what the Bible says about cheerful giving or stewarding joyfully. Not much pushback there. But the other, as far as what amounts, how much should you give, all that kind of stuff, that's where I'm not going to give you a specific because I don't have a specific for you other than to point you to the scriptures. And that's why we put a whole lot of scriptures here. But go off-roading from these. Don't just take the ones that I've given you. Look at what the scriptures say. So as you define what is God, what is God first giving look like for us? Really wrestle with that. And don't just, the thing I want to challenge you with is don't just go from what sounds right to you, but really go into the scriptures and see what they say. And I want to offer this. I, I, the more I go into the scriptures, I wasn't always here, but the more I go to the scriptures, I can't justify less than 10% anymore. I can't from the scriptures. And, and, and I say this now with sincerity. This is not rhetorical. This is not sarcastic. If you're able to present a case to me from the scriptures that we should be giving less than 10% back to God, let me know honestly because I'm not able to make that case. And I'm to a place now where with conviction, I can't say, yeah, give 2% and the next year give 3% and blah, blah, blah. I, I can't justify less. But again, Look at the scriptures. Please push back on that. Not right now because we got a lot to cover, but seriously, send me emails. Let's set an appointment. You know, I honestly want to, to, to wrestle with that. But I give you the scriptures again because I'm not telling you here's the exact amount you should give. What I am saying is it should be God first. God first. God first. And wrestle with what that looks like for your family. But you don't stop there. What we want to move towards is this idea of joyful stewardship because for most of us, Giving 10% or more does not just come naturally. It is not easy. It is a conscious decision. It's not a joyful one, right? So how do we move to joyful stewardship? Well, for me, here's my go-to. My go-to. I'm going to encourage you to write this next one down. Number three, my go-to is this. Develop Lazarus friendships. And I do wish we had more time because I'd love to dig into this even more. But it is something we touch on from time to time. So you'll hear that language uh, throughout your time with us. But on October 17th, 2010, we did drill into this passage that we're going to look at really quickly with a lot more depth. If you have your Bibles with you, please take a look here at Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Here's where I get this Lazarus friendship language from. It's from another story that Jesus told. Again, it's Luke 16, verse 19 and beyond. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. Um, we have copies at uh, both of the entrance slash exits, and we also recommend a free resource, like online resource for you as well. All right, here we go. Uh, let's start with verses 19 to 21. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus was covered with sores. He desired to be fed with even what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, when we have more time and we drill more into the passages like this and we see that word rich man, we can make a strong case that if you live in the United States, you're probably in that category of rich. When the Bible's talking about rich, there are billions of people that would trade places with anyone in this room in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Where they're in a Lazarus situation, they are starving like Lazarus was, and they literally, the food that we throw in the trash, they would long to eat those scraps. There are people who lack access to the basics of health care, like Lazarus did. 
there are people who are in vulnerable positions. Those dogs licking his sores, that wasn't old yeller. Oh, let me give you comfort. You know, that is dangerous street dogs, you know, scary situation. He was vulnerable. All right, let's go back to our text, picking up with verse 22. The poor man died. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, had bad things. But now he is comforted here. You're in anguish. And besides this, between us and you, there's this great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and those who would cross from there to us. And the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I got five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also fall into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, if someone comes back from the dead, then they're going to repent. Abraham said to him, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should even rise from the dead. Now, there's so much great stuff here to unpack, but I just want to make this point. In this story that Jesus told, among other things that was going on here, there were two guys that each needed something from each other, weren't there? There were two men that each would have benefited from what the other had. That's what a Lazarus friendship is. For us to find those people who are on the front lines of poverty, who have something that we need. If we live in this culture, we need that perspective, that visceral perspective from people who are there and from seeing it ourselves. One of the other things we've said out here besides a Lazarus friendship is find your Juarez. My Juarez happens to be Juarez. Mexico. I, I serve on a board there. I'm going down in a couple weeks, a board of a children's home. Find your Juarez. Find your Juarez where you're reminded of how blessed we are because that's, the steward, that's where joyful stewardship starts kicking in and you start realizing, God, who am I? And you start realizing my small house in Shoreview is not small. My income is not as small as I thought it was. It's enormous by the world's standards. And we begin to realize, God, who are we that we are this blessed instead of how come I don't have more, Right? Okay, we could go on for that forever, but let's move on to the, the next one because we're almost out of time here. Number four, God-honoring gardening, tip number four. Practice automatic save second discipline. No surprises here, right? First thing, God, it's all yours. Second play with your money. I'm going to put some away for the future because stuff is going to happen. I would encourage every one of you to approach life um, and your money like with savings like you do your giving. Just make it automatic. And I don't know what automatic is for you, whether it's once a month or with every paycheck or once a week, but put a little away or a lot away. I don't have an amount for you either because people are going to disagree, but I think 10% again is a low bar. But you're putting money away for the future. The Bible devotes a lot to giving it only says a little tiny bit about saving. But what it does say about saving is noteworthy. Here's an example, Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Right? Now, one of the greatest sources of financial stress is if you don't have enough reserves for yourself. 
Emergency comes, you don't have money in the bank. That's a source of great stress for a lot of people, right? Another source of a lot of people is they start to get towards retirement age, and you're like, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that. That's another great source of stress. The Bible says, you know what? Why are you stressing about those things? You should be setting the bar at leaving an inheritance. And not just for your kids if you got them. For who? Your children's children. And I want to raise the bar even higher because I think the Scripture does. What is that inheritance? Is that inheritance a great big pool of money that they all fight over because that's how they see money and that you're happier if you get more of it? What is your inheritance? The end of that continuum, joyful stewardship. I can be happy in any circumstance. You bet I'm thankful that they left a financial inheritance for my children's children. But more than that, they've left an inheritance that is so much richer. They left an inheritance that they really did trust these scriptures. It wasn't lip service. But I saw my mom, my dad, my uncle, whoever you are in someone else's life in the next generation, they saw us really looking into the scriptures and living by them. Do they see a person in us that practices God-first giving where we just acknowledge, God, this is all yours. It's not mine. It's not that I'm, that, that I, it's all yours. And you're allowing me. It's not, I'm giving you 10%. You're letting me keep 90. Are you kidding me? Do they see in us a person who practices save second discipline where they see, yep, that is a great, every, are we teaching the next generation? You save a portion of everything that comes in. You save. And then, are we the people that are introducing them to our friends, Lazarus? Have you met my friend, Lazarus? Would you come with me to Juarez? Wherever your Juarez is, whoever your Lazarus is. These are decisions that we can make, right? We can't choose peace. But can you imagine how much more peaceful, if you're not employing these practices, do you know how much peace, more peaceful your life would be? And one of the reasons that is, is because as we're doing those things, we're following the teachings of the Prince of Peace. And that's the last thing I'd encourage you to write down here today. When we follow Jesus, when we do these God-honoring practices, we're following the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace is just one of the many titles that were aptly attributed to our Savior. And again, I can personally testify, the more I follow his ways, the more peace I have. And that brings me to our closing story. On Thursday, I just got back from out of town. So I come back, Stuff is just piled through the roof, you know, uh, back at the office. And I come in, and I'm doing the best I can to attack, attack the pile. And Laura calls me from Rosedale, and she says, So I went out to my van, and I got a note on my van that said, Check your tire. I check my tire, and here is a three-inch nail sticking through it. And so I'm thinking, Oh, this is not good timing. But is there ever good timing for these phone calls? No, there's never good time for these phone calls. So... I asked, you know, is it flat? And she goes, no, it seems like it's got its air in there. I said, well, how do you feel about trying to drive back roads nice and slow back home and call me if anything goes wrong? So she's like, yeah. So she calls Ron to pick up Emma at school and makes all those arrangements. And she makes her way home and she gets home. She calls it, I made it home. So after I punch out at work, I come, take a look at the tire. I'm like, yeah, there's three-inch nails sticking through this thing. Better bring it in. So call Maplewood Toyota. And, and I said, can you get us in tomorrow? And they said, no, we can't. I said, can you get us in tonight? They said, yeah, we can. And so I made an appointment for 9 p.m. They're open until 9 p.m. It's not an advertisement. I don't have any relatives there. Anyway, so, 
So I make the appointment, it, and, and I'm like, all right, do I change the tire or do I not change the tire? Well, there's still air in it, so let me just give myself extra time, and I'm going to take all the back roads, and I'll only change the tire if i got to change the tire. So I'm taking every back road I can find between Shoreview and Maplewood, and I get there, still air in the tire, so now I'm there nice and early. Check in my car, and they take a look at that, and they go, wow, that's a big nail you got sticking in your tire. I said, yes, it is. Can you help me with that? And they said, well, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I check in my car, and I go into the, the, um, the, the waiting area, and I pull up my computer, and I'm working on this message, and this is important. I'm working on this message. Not for the first time. I started earlier in the week, but, you know, <laughs> I I'm, I'm still had some way to go. And so I'm working on this message on financial peace. And the other piece that I forgot to say in the story is when this happened, we were able to laugh at it. Do we want to spend money on extra tires? No. No one ever does. But we could laugh at it because this was not going to affect our giving to the children's home or to the church. That was... God first stuff. We just, that's just going to happen. We've set that money aside. It's just going to happen. So I don't have the sense of guilt of now, can I pay the church? Can I pay the, the children's home? That's not on the table. So we don't, we don't have stress about that. Also, we put money away each and every paycheck. It automatically comes out so that we have money in the bank for stuff like this. Again, do we want to spend money on this? No. But we can if we need to. So we had a baseline sense of peace. But here's where the story got really fun. I'm sitting in here working on this message about financial peace, experiencing a little bit of financial peace and a little bit of anger about nails, you know. But the guy walks in and he says, this is crazy. He said, I have been working here or working in this industry for 16 years. We pulled that nail out of your tire and we looked for leaks. We did everything. We checked it and rechecked it and rechecked it. There's no leaks in your tire. You're free to go, you know, kind of a thing. But... You know, and I'm just like, oh, and I can't forget the punchline. He says, after he says all that, someone's looking out for you as I'm working on this message on financial peace. Someone's looking out for you. And I'm like, yes, there is. <laughs> and he didn't come to Christ or anything like that. But, <laughs> but I, 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 as he was saying that, I'm like, you know, that message wasn't for just us. That's for all of us someone looking out for us. And sometimes he can literally heal a tire. And sometimes he's good enough to let that tire pop to bring us to a place where we say, you know what? Save for crying out loud. And he's good enough. Sometimes one of my friends, one of my, one of my good friends, he said one of the best things that ever happened to me is I got unemployed and I was unemployed for six months. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. He's good enough to do whatever it takes to draw us back to him where we realize financial security, it's a myth. Our security is ultimately in the God who owns all things and the God who's preparing a home for us in a place where there is no rust, there are no thorns, there are no undiscovered concrete slabs that don't have treasure underneath them, right? There is a God. There is a God. And he looks out for us. So I want to encourage you to press into what he says. I want to encourage you to look at his scriptures. I want to encourage you to consider saying every time he gives to me, the first play is to give back to him. I want to encourage you to set aside money in each and every time money does come in because stuff will happen. And I want you to encourage you to, to find your Juarez, to find a Lazarus who can keep you grounded and recognizing, wow, we are blessed. So let's pray to that end. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are looking out for us. You clothe the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, 
find food, how much more do we matter to you than flowers or birds? Lord, I pray that each and every person in this room would come to know that. Lord, I pray that you work against any guilt that's hanging heavy, but instead you'll fill them with this overwhelming truth that you are here to help and that we would take you up on that amazing offer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week.